glad to be here uh, as part of this Come Alive series uh, where we're looking at these characters in the Bible with the goal that their life and something of what they know of the Lord and their experience of him would rub off on us or come alive to us. And I'm going to break the mold a little bit this morning. If the first three installments of our series were autobiographical accounts, uh, you might think of today as a biographical account. And that's not without reason. So if you think about it, in the scriptures, we have more first-person information from David by far than any other character. The vast majority of the largest book of the Bible is David's own words. It's David's prayers and songs as he cried out to God about his life and poured out his soul before the Lord. And so my goal this morning is to enter into the heart of David through his own words, through his prayers to God, so that we might glean something of the way that he lifted his soul before the Lord. Because to be sure, there's one need that's common to all of us, whether we lived in David's time or we live today. The Lord calls all of us to lift our souls to him. And so by God's grace, we're going to be able to do that this morning through the experience of David. So in order to do that, could I invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Psalm chapter 143? You can either turn in your Bible or turn on your Bible and we'll get there together. I'm going to read uh, the English Standard Version this morning. Uh, the English Standard as well as New American, King James, some of the other more literal translations draw out the identity of the soul in this passage. If you're reading the New International Version or New King James or something like that, uh, they translate it a little bit differently. But what we'll see as I read this morning is the soul emerges repeatedly. And I just want us to notice that because in this passage that we're going to read, it's really the intersection of the soul, which is one of David's great themes throughout the Psalms, and this other theme of his enemies. We're going to see how they interact in this psalm that really goes right to the heart of who David is and the experience of the depth of his soul. So would you consider this with me, the words of David, Psalm chapter 143, a psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. 
For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. The prayer of David. As we look at David's prayer this morning and as we experience something of his heart, I want to say just a few things about how his example invites us to follow the pattern that he follows in lifting up his soul to the Lord. And the first thing I want to say is this, David recognized the enemies of his soul. And in so doing, he invites you and me today to do the same, to recognize the enemies of our Souls. Notice what he says in, in verse 3. He says, For the enemy has pursued my soul. The enemy has pursued my soul. You may know Dallas Willard. Uh, Dallas Willard passed away recently, but he was a towering figure. He was a pastor, a professor, theologian, uh, wrote prolifically about the matters of the soul. And one of the things that Dallas Willard is uh, most known for is identifying and really helping us unpack and understand the parts of the person. You remember the great command in the Old Testament to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your strength. As, as Dr. Willard would unpack these things, he talked about the heart as the will, that part of us that wills to do a thing. It's the passion that drives us in our actions and thoughts in life. That's the heart. The mind, of course, is that place where we process information. We come to judgments. We um, have these cognitive processes where we're interacting with ideas in the mind. Of course, the strength would be our physical bodies uh, that that we walk around in and that we interact with and the bodies that we carry. But then he talks about the soul. And the soul is that innermost part of who we are. It's really the core of our being that knits together all of these other parts. And what's unique about the soul is that the soul is quiet. The soul doesn't assert itself on us like the other parts of our being do. You think about that. Your will, when your will is bent on something and you're fixed on it, that drives your thoughts. It drives your actions. We really do what we want to do, don't we? Where there's a will, there's a way. And in our minds, when we're gripped by an idea or we're convinced of something as we process information, our thoughts and our mind tend to drive our actions and our perspectives and our opinions. And that can be loud in terms of its direction in our lives, the ideas that we're convinced of. Certainly our physical bodies, our, our capacity physically determines what we can and cannot do. All of these elements of our personhood can speak loudly and drive who we are and what we do. But the soul is quiet and the soul will wait. And the soul doesn't force its will on the rest of us. And so what happens when there's no attention given to the soul or when the soul is neglected, it tends to wither. And I think David understood this because throughout the Psalms, again and again and again, we hear David interacting with his own soul, giving attention to his soul, giving instruction to his soul, guarding his soul and lifting it up before 
the Lord. Because he knew what would happen when he doesn't pay attention to his soul, then it drifts. And so he's continually bringing it before the Lord. And he recognizes that the, the health of his soul is up against strong odds as a citizen of this world. There were enemies of his soul. I don't know about you, uh, but one of the challenges I've always faced in reading the Psalms, I've known them to be prayers uh, and instructive prayers so that I can learn to pray by praying the prayers of David. Maybe you've done this too. But I wonder if you're like me, if you've run up against a challenge in that, you come across some of this enemy language where David prays against his enemies and recognizes the enemies around. Well, David was a king. He was a warrior. He was constantly going out to battle. And so he faced literal armies of enemies. Some of you are in the military. I am not. Uh, And so I don't face actual literal military enemies in the way that David does. And that's given me some confusion. And and how much can I actually relate to David? Uh, And sometimes his language, uh, I, I struggle with how much of his prayers can I faithfully adopt as my own? Because my literal enemies are different than his. But David talks about his enemies in a unique way. Throughout the Psalms, he'll refer to his enemies like he does in Psalm chapter 17 and verse 14. And he says, Lord, deliver me from men of the world whose portion is in this life. He's describing the soul of his enemies. And he's saying, Lord, deliver me from being like that. Very often when he prays these prayers about his soul, it'll be followed up with, Lord, teach me to do your will. Teach me righteousness and faithfulness before you. If I were praying for deliverance from my enemies, I would pray for things like, give me freedom, spare my life. But David doesn't do that. Very often he'll say, deliver me from my enemies by teaching me your ways. Because More than the fact that his enemies were pursuing his life physically, and they were, I think more importantly to David was his enemies were pursuing his soul to capture it so that it might be corrupted like theirs, that he might then become a man of the world whose portion is in this life rather than in God and in the life to come. So David understood his enemies in a unique way. He understood them to be pursuing his soul, and he recognized the enemies of his soul. Well, who were David's enemies? What did it look like in his context? Well, we're introduced to David at an early age as a man of great virtue, as a man, in fact, after God's own heart. If you know the story, uh, Saul was king of Israel, but the Lord spoke to Samuel, who was the prophet in Israel, and said, I'm going to raise up a new king after Saul. And I want you to go to Jesse, who was an Israelite. Uh, go to Jesse, who has eight sons. And one of his sons, I'm going to call out to be the next king of Israel. And I'll show you who it is when you get there. So Samuel went to Jesse and told him what the Lord had sent him there for. So Jesse gathered seven of his eight sons, the seven who might be a likely candidate to become king. Some of Jesse's sons were tall and had a kingly appearance. Some of Jesse's sons were wise and smart and learned. But as Samuel interacted with each of these sons, the Spirit of the Lord told him, no, no, no. And so Samuel asked Jesse, do you have any other sons? Well, Jesse had one other son, but he was so unlikely to be a kingly candidate, he didn't even think to bring him before Samuel. And of course, it's David who was out in the fields tending sheep. And so Samuel said, we'll wait here for you to bring David. David came 
And the Spirit of the Lord prompted Samuel and said, this will be my king. Because God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And David was that man after God's own heart. Early in his life, David was known, he had a reputation as a man of valor, as a man of war who was skillful, as a man of good presence. And so the earliest victory that we see of David is, of course, his battle with Goliath. His heart so pure, his heart so filled with faith in God that he bravely went before Goliath. If you know the story, knocked him dead with one blow, and that was only the beginning. After that, he conquered the armies of the Philistines. He conquered armies all around, began uh, to be the chief of Saul's armies and gained accolades, gained victories, gained reputation among the people, not only for his victories, but for his heart. For the purity of his soul. And this was winsome. He was, he was loved by the people of Israel because of who he was and his integrity and his valor. And of course, this made the existing king very angry. And we find Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, becomes very jealous of David and his victories and his reputation among the people. 1 Samuel 18, 28 and 29 says, Saul was so jealous he became the enemy of David from that day forward. So most of the book of 1 Samuel in our Old Testament is the account of Saul pursuing David's life. David fleeing for his life literally from wilderness to wilderness. David always on the watch because Saul is always pursuing David's life. Pursuing it physically, but Saul was driven by jealousy, driven by bitterness, driven by anger, driven by resentment. All of those things that David prayed against in his own life. And interestingly, twice in the book of 1 Samuel, we find that David had opportunity to to kill Saul, to avenge himself against his enemy, but he didn't take it. Even when his his advisors around him said, David, now's your opportunity. Take Saul's life and you can rest. You won't have to continue to flee. David said, no, who am I to extend my hand against the Lord's anointed? It is the Lord who raises up his king. It's the Lord who will bring him down in his time. David trusted in the Lord and would not overstep his role to do what was only the Lord's to do. Incidentally, that principle is true at all times. It is the Lord who raises up leaders and authorities, and it's the Lord who removes them in his time and in his way. So David gained acclaim for who he was and his purity of heart before the Lord. The end of the book of 1 Samuel is the death of Saul, uh, and the beginning of the book of 2 Samuel is when David hears about the death of Saul. So Saul had been in battle, he had been mortally wounded, and and there was a young man present nearby, and he said, come, I want you to kill me, end my life now, because Saul didn't want to have the dishonor of being killed by his enemies, and so this young man did, and then he ran straight to David to tell him the news, expecting to be rewarded for being the one who dealt the death blow to David's known lifelong enemy. But David didn't respond as we might have expected. David wasn't glad to hear the news. In fact, David avenged the life of Saul. David took the life of that young man for doing what only the Lord had the authority to do, to extend his hand against the Lord's anointed. And once again, David's wisdom, his virtue, his valor 
The purity of his soul gained reputation among the people. He was anointed king, 2 Samuel chapter 5, and we're told this pleased all the people to have such a good and wise king. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is the, the promise of God coming to David that his kingdom would be eternal. David's throne would always be ruling over the kingdom of God's people. And of course, that's a prophecy that David's descendant, Jesus Christ, would rule eternally in the kingdom over the kingdom that was promised to David. And we're told in 2 Samuel chapters 8 and 9 that David ruled with equity and justice. He had conquered enemies to the north, south, east, and west, and he ruled over God's people with wisdom and faithfulness and was beloved by the people because of the purity of his heart, because of the health of his soul. But his enemy was always pursuing. His enemy was always pursuing. And 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 is, I think, one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. 2 Samuel 11 1 says, The season came when kings go out to war. But David stayed home. It's the season when kings go out to war, but David stayed home. And in staying home, it opened a window of opportunity for his enemy to come in and get hold of his soul. See, if you know the story, David was lounging on his rooftop one afternoon and he looked over at the rooftop of his neighbor Uriah, saw Uriah's beautiful wife outside on the rooftop. And what gripped David's soul in that moment? It was the same thing that had gripped Saul so many years before. He became jealous. And he wanted to claim something that was not his own, and he did. Adultery followed. After that, a whole web of lies and schemes and deceit to try to cover up his adultery that ultimately led to murdering Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And then the the carnage didn't stop there as David's life began to unravel. It spread to his children. His children battled and killed one another violated one another. And his son Absalom even came after David in his own life. The soul of David began to unravel. His enemy had pursued him. And though Saul had been long dead, what Saul represented and what his other enemies represented, the enemies of the nations around him, the enemies even within his own kingdom who were constantly trying to get David to scheme and plot in order to advance Israel's cause. Those enemies that David had always resisted when the season came for kings to go to war and David came home in the quietness of that moment, David's enemy caught him. And though there was restoration for David later in his life, It did not come without a price. And we see in Psalm chapter 143 what happens when the enemy captures the soul. We see the condition that David's soul was left in. Look back at Psalm 143 beginning in verse 3. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. We don't know when in David's life this psalm was written. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is a prayer of David in one of those moments when he's reflecting as a father 
on the brokenness of his family, when he's reflecting as a man on the things that he had carried out that he thought he would never do. And he examines the condition of his soul in this moment. And that's the second thing I want to point out to us that David invites us to do along with him, and that is to examine the condition of our souls. Look at the language David uses. The enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. It's it's an image of a heavy weight that has crushed him down. This is the condition of his soul. He was still alive. He was still breathing air. But his life, the inner life that really mattered, had been crushed to the ground under the weight of his sin. And I wonder, as you and I examine our souls this morning, if there's not someone here who feels that same weight. I wonder if there's not someone here who feels like your life is being crushed to the ground under the weight of a burden on your own soul, whether it's through a choice that you've made, through a circumstance in your life, and it's weighing you down. He goes on to say, He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. What is it about darkness? When we're in darkness, we can't see. If it's dark enough, you can't see the hand in front of your face. And I wonder if there's not someone here and you're examining the condition of your own soul and though no one else may know, you just don't know where to go. You can't see the path ahead. It's like you're in darkness. Things outwardly may be just fine, may be better than ever, but when you examine the condition of your soul, there's a darkness, there's a confusion. He goes on. He says, therefore my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. Thinking again of Dallas Willard's categories and, and, and identifying when this language of the heart is introduced as it being the will If that's what David is getting at here, he's saying something like, my will to live is appalled. And and what's translated in the English Standard Version as appalled, don't know what it is in the translation that you're looking at, but the root idea of the original word there is paralyzed. It's the idea of paralysis. David is saying, my will is paralyzed. And I wonder if there's not someone here who's feeling some of that in your soul. My very will to go on is paralyzed because the enemy has caught me. The enemy of jealousy or greed or anger or bitter or resentment. All of the things that drive the ways of the world, that enemy has caught me in one way or another. And it feels like I'm paralyzed. David goes on to say, I remember the days of old. This is verse 5. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. And I just wonder if this isn't David reflecting on those days when he lived virtuously before God and before the people and saw God do incredible things through him and his wisdom and his leadership that makes it all the more grievous that his soul has been captured. And then he says in verse 6, he says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. What it all came down to is that his soul was a dry, cracked desert. 
his soul had been neglected. Remember, the soul is quiet. The soul won't force its way. The soul was dry and parched and in need of God. And so what did David do? And this leads us to the third thing that David did in this psalm that I think he invites all of us by his experience to do with him. And that is David spoke truth to his soul. He had recognized the enemies of his soul. He examined the condition of his soul. And now, having seen the condition of his soul, he spoke truth to his soul. And we'll see how that comes out in his language, beginning in verse 7. He he prays to the Lord. He says, answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Even when David's soul had been captured, he knew what to do because it's what he had done his whole life. He knew his own soul and he spoke to it. Maybe there had been a season where he had not paid attention to the condition of his soul, allowing that enemy to come in, but he knew where to go when that time came. He would lift up his soul to the Lord and he would speak the truth of God's promises and who God is to his very own soul to find restored life, to find deliverance from God. Now, David was a musician and the word psalm is really just a translation of song. So when David lifted up his soul to the Lord and spoke truth to his soul, I can only imagine as he took up his harp... It may have sounded something like this. Out of the depths, O Lord, I cry to you. When I am tempted to despair. Though I may fail to trust your promises. You never fail to hear my prayer. And if you judged my sin, I'd never stand again. But I see mercy in your hands. So more than watchmen for the morning, I will wait for you, my God. When my fears come with no warning, in your word I'll put my trust. When the harvest time is over, And I still see no fruit I will wait I will wait For you The secret mysteries Belong to you We only know what you And all my questions that are unresolved Don't change the wisdom of your will In every trial and loss My hope is in the cross Where your compassions never fail 
so more than watchmen for the morning. I will wait for you, my God. When my fears come with no warning, in your word I'll place my trust. When the harvest time is over and I still see no fruit, I will wait. I will wait for you. Not only did David speak truth to his soul, he instructed his soul. He told his soul what to do in these times when he was so dry. To be still and sit before the Lord. To be sure that's what we need to do as well. I invite us together to consider our own soul and speak words something like this. Still. My soul be still and do not fear The winds of change may rage tomorrow God is at your side No longer dread The fires of unexpected sorrow God, you are my God and fleeting shadows hold on to his ways with shield of faith against temptation's flaming arrows God you are my God and I will trust in you and not be shaken Lord A steadfast spirit within me to rest in you alone, to rest in you alone, to rest in you alone. As David, his soul. To the Lord. He did so with the promise that the Lord would hear and that He would deliver him. And that's the other thing I want to point us to as David concludes this psalm is that God will deliver your soul. David recognized the enemies of his soul, he knew them well. David examined the condition of his soul and knew it well. And then David spoke the truth to his soul. He lifted it up before the Lord because he believed, and he invites you and me today to believe truly 
that God will deliver your soul. Look in verses 11 or 9 through 12. He says, Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. David experienced the deliverance of God. He was restored. David was not perfect. But he pointed us to the only one who is his descendant, Jesus Christ, whose reign and rule, whose kingship is always with virtue, whose kingship is always in love, who has fought every battle against every enemy that would wage war against our souls so that when we turn to him, when we lift up our soul to God, when we lift up our soul to Jesus Christ, we find forgiveness and grace for every way that the enemy has captured and crushed our soul. So if we take anything away from the life of David, if we take anything away from the heart of David, let it be this. Lift up your soul to the Lord. Do it by speaking truth to your soul. When you sing the words of truth, let it be a message to your soul. Use your heart, your will. Use your mind, your thoughts. Use even your physical body in the presence of where you go and whom you interact with to be means of paying attention to the part of us that truly matters, our soul. It waits quietly to be delivered from every enemy because God will deliver your soul when you lift it to him. And so I pray that you and I and everyone in these congregations here at Lake Forest in the 01 Highland Park and Crossroads would today, this week, this season of life, lift up our souls, find the deliverance of God from every enemy that pursues us. Let me pray. Father in heaven, you have given us the precious gift of a soul that was crafted after your image. A soul that was hardwired from the day we were conceived to have fellowship and oneness with you and to experience the kind of life that only you can give. And so I pray that you would allow us to experience that. Lord, in, in a room this size with this number of people, the conditions of our souls are all over the map. And Lord, I pray that you would meet each individual in that place where only you know and that you would bring deliverance. Draw us to you, I pray. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, amen.